This is the Two North Jackson podcast with news, insights, details, and accomplishments from Alabama's 67 county governments. Welcome to the November edition of the Two North Jackson podcast. This month, we'll talk about a county engineer's passion, a new perspective on budgeting, and some changes that are on the horizon here at 2 North Jackson Street. And we begin this month with a visit with our friend Justin Barfield, the county engineer in Geneva. Everyone in the county family knows Justin. He is a constant presence at all of our activities, engaged in everything important this association does. But like many of you, there's a little something about Justin that you don't know and that you need to learn about. Justin, tell us about the BHB Foundation. Sonny, the BHB Foundation is named after my wife, Blaine Hardy Barfield. This is a foundation that was created back in 2018, three years after she passed by suicide in March of 2015. And this was something that came to her family and as well as myself. And we wanted to try to create awareness for mental health suicide prevention and kind of create some good from the bad that went through our family and the loss of Blaine. So thus the creation of the BHB Foundation. Well, and your county families focus very much on mental health issues as we try to continue to prepare for the 2024 legislative session. But since 2018, you've been real busy. And I love that picture that was in the magazine earlier this year of you with your bunny suit on. Yeah, yeah. We tried to create some good times from the tragedy that happened to our family. And one of our fundraisers is the Egg My Yard fundraiser that we do the Friday before Easter. We go around the the Wiregrass area around Dothan and with the help of friends and family and volunteers and some civic organizations, we're up to around 7,000 eggs that we put in yards that people purchase through the foundation and we raise funds that way. And yeah, I actually dress up as a big Easter bunny and make the trek around town and do photo ops and just try to create some memories and laughs. Of course, everybody laughs at me and then my 12-year-old daughter, she loves me embarrassing her as well as I dress up. Of course, Lily now at 12 years old, the county engineer, you're busy, you're on call all the time. So talk a little bit about the involvement of your family in the day-to-day activities that you face as a single dad. Well, as you know, Sonny, being a county engineer, we rise early and sometimes we stay late and generally on call seven days a week with the citizens and our commissioners we work for. So yeah, being a single dad, it does take a village to help raise a child. And so with my mother and my father and also my wife's parents, there's a lot of moving pieces to get her to and from school and back home and all, and it's a really big help to me so I can focus on my career as well as try to focus on being a good father to her as well. Well, and your circle of close friends in county engineering are a big part of the foundation's activities, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. One thing about being a county engineer, we're not just workmates. We're also after hours and friends and family as well. And yes, we host what's called the VHB Bash as well. And it's an event where we have family activities, face painting, inflatables. We have bands, silent auction, food trucks, and we've had other familiar faces and names with county engineering for one 
one, Benji Sanders, Crenshaw County engineer. He's actually played at one of the bashes as well. It really is a family, you know, county engineering and county commissioners as well as ACCA, ACEA. It's really a family setting on and off, I guess, the field per se. And you mentioned ACEA. You served a few years ago as president of that organization. You know, for me, in what's almost 35 years now here as an employee of the association, it's just amazing to me the relationships that you as county engineers have with each other away from county engineering. Yeah, well, we all face the same issues. And, you know, there's no reason to recreate the wheel because our next door neighbor county engineers probably face the same issues I face. And so we stay in contact constant contact with each other and try to do the best we can in our county. It's a big brotherhood for sure. And this time of year in the fall, many of you spend Saturdays together too, right? Yes, we do. There's a big group of us that spend a lot of time up at Auburn. There's a big campground and historically there's been six, seven of us up there that kept campers and tailgate and watch our kids grow up there. I can speak for my daughter who grew up with Josh Harville's boys as well as John Mark Davis, his daughters. So yeah, we have a big group of us that also spend the weekends together during the fall. Well, and again, it's one of the things that makes this whole association and what we do in county government so special is that relationship. And if you could just talk a minute about those that are listening that might want to get involved with the BHB Foundation, if you could talk a little bit about where the money goes and then how people can get involved. Well, you can always go to our website. It's bhbfoundation.org. Using the letters of my wife's name, BHB, you know, our motto was breaking silence, healing pain, and building hope. Suicide affects, there's not one person that you know that suicide has not affected them. Rich, poor, any color creed, it's affected everybody some shape or fashion. So since 2018, we've given out to various organizations probably over $100,000. We've given to schools such as Auburn, Alabama, Troy to their student counseling programs. We've kept it local around the Wiregrass area here in Dothan for the main part. We've got some organizations here called Wiregrass Hope, Living Waters. We donate very heavily to those two organizations. And like I said, our two big fundraisers are the Easter Egg, Egg My Yard event that we do the Good Friday night. That way your kids can wake up Saturday morning before Easter and have eggs in their yard. And then also the bash that we've hosted three times over the last five years to raise funds. And so we're trying to make good from the bad that our families endured. We feel like we're making some good come out of it. We're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, as well as bhbfoundation.org. Well, Justin, we appreciate very much you spending a few minutes with us, and we encourage the county family to go to the website and to get involved in this commitment you've made and the rest of your family has made with you. We're just proud to be part of your family. Thank you much, Sonny. Appreciate you guys, as always, and you're a big part of our family as well, and thank you. And now we'll turn our attention to a conversation about moving from the courthouse to the state house with our longtime friend, Bill Lamb. Bill, how you doing? Sonny, I'm doing well. Excited to have a discussion with you. Just so the members know, Bill spent 39 years in the accounting department in Tuscaloosa, retired back in 2021 as the chief financial officer for Tuscaloosa County, and then jumped from the frying pan into the fire after being a public employee, ran for the Alabama legislature, ran unopposed in an open seat, which is pretty hard to do, Bill. How'd you pull that off? <laughs> I guess I was just fortunate, but that's the best way to run is unopposed. And I guess because I've just been around a long time and I knew most everybody in my district. So I think that helped. And then you, you load up and come down here to the state house and everybody knows your financial background and your involvement in budgeting and 
and compliance and transparency for all those years in Tuscaloosa. And they put you on the budget committee right off. Yeah, they did. And I would tell everybody that, you know, when it became time to retire, I really didn't need a job. I didn't need another career, but I thought I could find a place that I could make a difference and find a place to serve. And with my background in county finances and governmental accounting, I thought maybe I could make a contribution there. After one session, I know you've had a little time here this summer and fall working on some interim projects, but looking at the state's budget and the county's budget, kind of tell me how you see those, how they compare and the budgeting process and that kind of thing. Well, the process in the county was a little bit simpler because I was the only one doing it. So the whole process was basically on my shoulders. And when you get to the state level, the numbers are so much bigger. Like coming from Tuscaloosa County, our budget at the time was $100 million. And you go to the state budget and the general fund budget's $3 billion, And then the education budget's about nine. So it's a lot more zeros. and It's a lot more moving parts. But, you know, your concepts are the same. You have public safety issues with Department of Corrections, and you have infrastructure issues with roads and bridges and court systems. All those are similar, but it's just a much larger scale. But the thing about state, we have such excellent staff on our budget committees and in the legislative services that are really experts in their area. And so you're dealing with people that have a whole lot of knowledge and have the resources. But at the end of the day, you have to decide how much money we're going to have and how much we're going to spend and if we're going to have anything left over. So that concept is the same no matter where you go. Yeah, I was going to say that sounds a whole lot like a budget presentation that Bill Lamb gave at a training <laughs> class about 20 years ago. That's right. We got to see how much money we have, figure out how much we want to have left over. And, you know, that part of county government has changed a lot. I know you saw Tuscaloosa County go from a county commission that was struggling and counting every penny to one that could actually plan for the future. Yes. You know, we started out back in the late 70s, early 80s. We had to worry about making the payroll at the end of the physical year because the money was just so short. And then when I retired, we had millions of dollars in reserve. So that's a long ways. A lot of things happened to get us there. And I think now states very similar situated, always struggled with their budgets and having enough money. And in the last couple of years, we've had enough money and had some left over. So those are very similar. And I think a lot of the things that contribute to that are the same. Like we went through a time where industries were shutting down and didn't have the jobs available. And then first thing that happened to us probably up here was the oil and gas discoveries, the methane gas. And then of course, everybody knows Mercedes. And since then, everything has been financially a whole lot more secure. And in this last couple of years with the state, we've had the federal infusion for the COVID funds and that's helped a whole lot. But those are one-time monies. And so we still have to be very conservative in our budgeting process because a lot of those issues, like the reason we have more sales tax is some of it's inflationary driven where there's a lot of federal dollars injected into the economy. So therefore you spend it and you have more sales tax, so therefore more revenue. When you had that push lawnmower that you pull behind your bicycle riding around in the neighborhood in Tuscaloosa where we both grew up, gas was a lot cheaper too, right? Yeah, I think it was about 30 cents a gallon and now we're $3 a gallon. So yeah, it was quite a contrast. We moved from pulling that lawnmower to being a member of the Joint Transportation Committee as well. And that's certainly a very coveted place for you to be in your first term serving here as a freshman in Montgomery. Can you talk a little bit about the Joint Transportation Committee and what the committee's doing and your role there? 
at the county level, most all of you know, there's a heavy concentration on infrastructure and roads and bridges. And that, coupled with budget experience, helped me in that regard. It's the same problem. You need roads, you need repairs, and you got to match your revenue that you have to the roads. And so we've got a lot of issues, but we are fortunate in that gas tax that was passed a couple years ago has enabled a whole lot more construction and repair projects. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. We haven't had a whole lot going on just yet, but it's coming. So I think I got the background and knowledge that will help me in that regard. Well, there's no question that you came to Montgomery with a background that's, I don't want to use English incorrectly and say very unique, but with a strongly unique background, having been in the financial operation of government for four decades, you and I are both old enough. We went to the old Tuscaloosa High School that doesn't exist anymore, but the transportation issues the state faces, as you say, are very, very similar to what we face at the county level. And that is we have more needs than we have money to take care of them, right? That's right. And we're doing some innovative things up here in Tuscaloosa, which we're partnered with the state. And I think it may be a model for other counties to get involved in. We have a transportation committee up here that's Road Improvement Commission. And what that is, a few years ago, the legislature reallocated some of our sales tax. And so a portion of our sales tax goes into a commission that decides on roads that ordinarily wouldn't get worked on. And so with that, we have money that we can match state resources sources. It's a committee and it has the mayors and county commissioners on the board. And we also have legislators on the board. The legislation was unique in that it decided four or five projects that needed to be done and they had to be done with these resources before it could be expanded to other projects. It's really a unique setup and I'm looking forward to continue to serve on that board. I think that's a model that we could use statewide. It sounds like it. On a future podcast, we'll drill down some more on that idea, but it sounds like they're taking advantage of the fact that you've retired and keeping you pretty busy in this new role. Yeah, I think so. You know, sometimes if you complain about an issue or are concerned about an issue, you might get put on a committee. So maybe that's part of it and part of it's my background, but I'm looking forward to it. Being retired, it does give me the ability to spend more time than someone who is fully employed. A legislator's role can be a full-time job. I know it's part-time but to me it's full-time and not only when we're in session which we're down in Montgomery but when we're at home many days I have three meetings that I have to attend so yeah it, it keeps you busy. Speaking of meetings, the legislature will be beginning the 2024 regular session on February 6th. And as we close, I just wondered if you have established any goals or plans for the coming session, anything you'd like to see accomplished. Of course, I like to get the budgets out of the way. You know, that's the only thing the legislature really has to do is a budget. So that's something I'd like to get on and get that settled pretty early. And then there's several issues I think will be coming up. Of course, ensuring honest and safe elections is a topic, and that affects counties in that probate judge and sheriff and all have to administer those elections. So I think you'll see some legislation in that regard. Probably see legislation maybe in the education realm. I think school choice will be a topic that will be debated again, and I don't know where that will end up, but we want to continue to try to keep the emphasis on good public safety and safe communities, those kinds of things. And we've always been a real friendly military state, and I think that will always be an emphasis. Things along those lines, and try to streamline maybe some of the government regulations and process. I know people get frustrated with all the hoops they have to go through, and I think maybe consolidating some funds and 
not regulate as intensively as we have been. All kinds of things like that. But the main thing I'll see coming up is the budgets and being involved in that process. Spoken like a true chief financial officer, right? First <laughs> yeah. thing is taking care of the budget. Yeah. Well, you know, everything revolves around money. We all know that. So that's what we have to emphasize is, do we have enough money to do what we need to do? And usually there's a whole lot more demands than there's resources to meet them. That hadn't changed from 1982 when you walked in that courthouse on Greensboro Avenue then all the way to today, trying to figure out how to balance the demand versus the money that we have. And Bill, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to visit with us. And I want to tell you how much we appreciate you always having your door open for the association and for our staff, and we look forward to another successful legislative session. Thank you, Sonny. I do appreciate it. And of course, you know, my heart's with county government, and I know that's where the rubber meets the road. There's nobody closer to the public than county commissions are, and I want to do all I can to make that a process that's good for the citizens and good for the state. Thanks again, Bill. And this month, we'll conclude with a conversation with Courtney Lane, the Director of Outreach here at the Association. Many of you know Courtney in her original role with us two or three years ago. She joined as part of the IAC team and has become our broadband expert. So we have a few broadband questions for you, Courtney. Thanks, Sonny. I'm glad to be here. I would hardly call myself a broadband specialist, but I can give it a try. In addition to holding on to those IAC duties, Courtney has become the Director of Outreach, so she is responsible for all of our training and events and activities and a new part of internal communication. And there are a number of changes on the horizon, and one of those, praise the Lord, is a rework of the Monday memo. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, the Monday memo, I believe, was conceived quite a little while ago to give people a quick five-minute heads up on Monday mornings about what they need to think about for the week, what's going on in the news, what's going on with ACCA. What we're going to do with that in the new year is revamp that, give it a rebrand, a fresh new name, and now that we have the county family platform, we're able to post news and things that you guys need to know so much more quickly rather than putting things into an email that may be repetitive of something that you've already seen posted online. So the Monday memo in its new incarnation is going to be a little bit more of an inside look of what we here at ACCA are doing throughout the upcoming week. That's going to include some information about any trainings or conferences staff members are going to. We're also going to use this platform to welcome any in-house meetings that we're having, any county guests that we're having when we have commission members or other county staff members who are coming to 2 North Jackson to visit with us. And we just want to keep you guys apprised of all the things that we are doing on your behalf. Well, and you said quite a long time ago, all the way back in 2009, when I became executive director, the bright idea title was The Hot Five. And I thought that it would be pretty easy every Monday to have five new things. Didn't do the math very well. That was 250 or 60 a year. And then it became the Monday Memo. So now it's going to become... Well, we are still working on a name and a new look, but I look forward to debuting this to you guys early in 2024. And I hope that you guys will find this a fresh new look at the things that are going on here at ACCA. And will the delivery method change? The delivery method for the to-be-named new Monday memo will still come to your email address through the ACCA staff email, which most of you should have saved in your safe sender list. So that will still come to your email on Monday mornings. 
And speaking of the online community as another option, you've already implemented changes on the Thursday communication, which really always got me confused. The Monday memo, the Thursday news. Talk a little bit about how you've changed that. Well, the Thursday news, I believe, was originally conceived as a sort of, okay, some things are happening in the midweek that we need to let folks know about that have happened since the Monday memo came out. So it kind of became a catch-all, catch-up. This started happening in the middle of the week email for our affiliate groups. Since the advent of the county platform earlier this year, we moved what we're calling the Thursday news to each affiliate group's homepage on their platform. And so we've been uploading relevant information for the affiliate groups to the county platform since the spring. And what we have implemented most recently is instead of having that be an individual news post every week, we have made it a pinned post to your home feed. So it will always show up in the top of your home feed. And instead of an individual news post, it's more of a running document. And the benefit of that is that it is actually searchable. It contains all of the items that we've put in there for the month or for the year. We're going to keep it updated. And we're able to provide information that is more timely and less repetitive from things that you may have already received in an email or from the Monday memo. So we wanted to make this an opportunity for you guys to have some up-to-the-minute news that is searchable, and we hope that that will be very beneficial to you. So the idea is to communicate on a more regular basis, timely information with the membership through the county platform. I like that. We also know as the online community. And then the Monday thing to be named is going to be revamped a little bit. But that's not all of the change. We've talked for a long time about changes to the association's magazine. And if I go all the way back to 1988, that was one of my first duties, working on what was called then the county commission. And talk a little bit, if you will about updating the format and the information that will be part of the magazine. Well, I am obviously following in some big footsteps with the magazine, (laughs) but I know that you enjoy getting the County Commission magazine on a quarterly basis, a printed magazine that has been going on for quite a few years. As we move many of our communications to a digital format, we are actually in 2024 going to make a digital change to the magazine. We are planning to have three digital issues per year, and we're going to do this in a way that is able to let us get you more in-depth information in a more timely way. We don't have the time lag of having to have a printed and mailed copy, so we want to make sure that we are using this also as a platform as we do our other communications to get you guys the most in-depth information, things that you need to know about for the session, for other upcoming things. And the benefit of having a digital magazine is that we can also link some items back to the county family. For example, we don't have to print the entire county platform in the magazine, we can do an overview of that and then link you back to the entire document on the county platform. So I think it's going to streamline the content. It's going to give us the opportunity to make more county-centered content and uh, really recognize what you guys are doing. Well, and one of the things, too, is going to allow staff to be a little more involved in the development of the content, too, right? It is. We really look forward to getting out there, doing some interviews, really doing some in-depth feature-type articles on all the exciting things that you guys have going on in the county. We want to showcase that to all of the county family members, and we all learn from each other, and we want to make sure that we're able to get all of that out to everybody. And just in case you still want to hold something, but more importantly, to give the county family and those 
goes outside of our realm, an insight into what the association really does and what it really means for our state. You've planned something else in addition to the digital magazine, right? That's right, Sonny. So the digital magazine is going to three digital issues a year, and then we will also have a printed annual report, which is not something that we've done before at ACCA, or at least not recently. In my role at the IAC, was involved in putting together the annual report for that program a couple years, and we found it very, very helpful as a great overview of all of the programs that we offer, all of the things that counties are doing. It will include information, of course, about county risk services, our new disaster recovery program, and the IAC program. Lots of great facts and figures about all the things that you guys have done throughout the year, legislation we've gotten passed. So it's going to be a great way to see at a glance what you guys in ACCA have been doing. And also as a printed piece, that'll be a great take along that you guys can provide at meetings to the public and anybody else who you think needs this information. So let me recap. The Monday memo's changing in January. New title, new format, new focus. The Thursday news gone the way of the dinosaurs, and you've shifted that to the county platform. One last paper copy of the County Commission magazine will be coming out with a recap of the convention, right? That's correct. You all will be receiving that this fall. And then the new digital magazine will debut in January of 2024 with, of course, our traditional pre-session. Here are the things that you need to know. But again, we're going to be able to go into some more in-depth feature articles and link you guys back to some of the more in-depth session documents on the county family platform so that you don't have to flip through all of that as you're reading through the magazine. Well, we're excited about all the things we can do with the digital magazine. We think the members will not miss the printed copy that shows up two or three months later than it ought to, and we can get this in their inbox with much more in-depth and pertinent information. And then the annual report sometime next late summer, fall, somewhere like that? Most likely, we plan to debut it around October. We are trying to follow sort of our fiscal year, give everybody a chance to complete their fiscal year, all the things that they've planned to do, the wonderful things that you guys are doing. We had discussed having it available in time for the convention, but we just determined that that would leave a couple of months of very important information and things that you guys are doing off of that if we tried to have it prepared for that. So it will be later in the fall. Well, and that's all very exciting for me and for us as an association, trying to move with the times, trying to keep up with our membership. But when those crazy things happen, don't block us on email because we will still be communicating that way, right? That's right, Sonny. Anything that comes up that's urgent or breaking news, anything that requires immediate action, you will still receive an email from the ACCA through our email system. So as Sonny said, keep us on your safe sender list and you will still be receiving those things as they need to come to you. Well, and those of you with broadband questions, feel free to hit Courtney up about that as well. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to those changes as we move together and communicate with each other more effectively. And thank you all for joining us for this month's Two North Jackson podcast. We hope you'll join us at the end of December for the next episode of the Two North Jackson podcast. Mm-hmm.